bad zone, know how you do it And I know I've put you through it It's amazing that you can Love me like I, love me like I
Thank you, Lord, for the small things like me and her on a porch swing, the summer nights and fireflies and the sound of my old six string. Blessings on blessings on blessings on blessings. If I still got breath in these lungs, then that's all I need to get down on my knees and be thankful for all that He's done for my mama, for my friends, for your love that never ends, for the songs that make us dance on this old dirt floor. Times, for lighting the way in the dark times, for pulling me in, for giving again the times that I took it too far. I gotta thank you for keeping me humble, for picking me up when I stumble. And although I change, you stay the same. And I don't say thank you enough for my mama, for my friends, for your love that never ends, for the songs that make us dance on this old dirt floor, for my babies, for my
Cause life hit you so hard that you've been knocked down Have you gone too far to find the middle ground? Did they raise you so high just to pull you back down? Have you been so lost you could never be found? Cause I've been real, I've been fake Been a sinner, been a saint I've been right, I've been so, so wrong Yeah, I've made my mistakes I don't know what it's like to be you You don't know what it's like to be me What if we're all the same in different kinds of ways Can you, can you relate? We both know what it's like to be hurt We both know what it's like to feel pain But I think it's safe to say we're on to better days. Can you, can you relate? Can you relate? Well, good morning, church. Good to see everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, if you can hear my voice and you're out there, come on in. This is the place to be. You can grab your last uh, cup of coffee and your breakfast and come take a seat. Uh, it's so good that... Uh, that we could be here in this place together because it is um, a privilege to be able to worship the Lord and to worship the Lord together in community, amen? And uh, it's a great reminder that we need each other and we need each other when we, um, you know, when we gather together, we realize that importance that we are not in this alone and that we need uh, to be gathered together uh, as often as we can to be not only encouraged, but to be challenged. And so this morning, we are going to worship the Lord, and we're going to worship the Lord through music. In just a moment, we're going to worship the Lord by opening his word. We're going to give worship and praise to God through our fellowship, through prayer. And so all that we do this morning, it's our desire that it would be, um, it would be lifted up to the Lord God in the name of Jesus to bring him honor and glory and praise, for he alone is worthy. Amen. Amen. And so um, just a, qu- a quick reminder that here at Trinity Bible Church, we have our, our important core values, and that is learn, grow, and serve, because that's how we pursue being disciples, which means a follower of Jesus, that we learn the truth, we grow in faith, and we serve. We serve uh, each other, and we serve the community and the world around us. And so we're going to do all three of those things together. And that's a process that we repeat over and over. Uh, But what I'd like to do now is to help uh, prepare our hearts and minds for worship together. I'd like to read from the Word of the Lord, and this is what we like to call our call to worship, because it's from the Word of God. It is God himself through his his revealed Word just calling us into a, a space and an opportunity to worship him. And let me just remind us all that worship is very simply our response to God's goodness. It is how we say thank you to God for all that he is and all that he has done for us. And so simply that's what we do. So as you sing these songs, um, just let the, the, the words ring true and understand that, that, that these are truths that remind us of who God is and who we are in him. And, and let the music kind of stir your spirit and move us to that we can help put everything else aside and just bring our focus and attention on him. For he alone is worthy 
But we have gathered here simply to say thank you, to thank you to God. And so as I read this, listen to the words, and, and then uh, take an opportunity when I pray to just bring that uh, briefly before the Lord and see what it is that he would have for you this morning, uh, realizing that we have come not truly just to receive, but to give, and to give back to God with a, a heart attitude of thankfulness. Here's what it says in Psalm 107. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, but can I read those last two verses again? Listen to what it says. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Have you come to the Lord hungering and thirsting after him? It says when we do, he satisfies that longing soul, and he fills the hungry soul with good things. We praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be together. Lord, to come into this place and let everything else just fade away into the background and meet with you before your matchless throne of grace. So Father, we offer ourselves up to you in worship now. And Lord, through these songs, we desire to lift our voices as one, to raise our hands to just sit or stand and listen to those around us, Lord worshiping you, but God, this time is for you. So thank you for the privilege of being able to come before you now. And Lord, we lift up our voices and we do so together in the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Church, let's worship the Lord together.
It's the Lord. That's why we can have so much joy, because we know that he is there with us. Say good morning to somebody next to you. So we can uh, find our way back to our seats. If you're just joining us, come on in. And uh, um, I trust that uh, for those of you that were just here for the worship, that you've been blessed already. It is good to sing songs of praise to the Lord in this place. And uh, because he is worthy. But um, there is something different and special about worshiping with other believers, isn't there? And I trust that this is a way to kick off your your week, and that throughout the week you'll be worshiping the Lord, and maybe it's in the car listening to the radio, or it's at home and your headphones on, what, or at work, wherever it is, that you continue to lift up praises to God and uh, use music. It's a wonderful source. It's a great gift that God has given us to, uh, to help us to worship him. Uh, but doing that here together uh, in this, uh, this group is something special and unique, and um, I'm very thankful for it, and so I'm blessed. Um, So before we dive into God's word together and continue our series on uh, the discipleship pathway, I'll get us caught up and do a a quick review. Before we do that, just wanted to make a a, a few um, announcements, what we call church life, that we can uh, just... um, you know, just make sure that we're in the, on the same page together about where we are uh, at, um, at Trinity and all the things that you can uh, be involved with here. Uh, just a, a few quick things. Remember that we have Sunday morning opportunities with our Dig Deeper uh, series, and uh, that just started a couple weeks ago. And so that's, uh, that starts at 9.30 a.m. on Sundays. And um, we also have our Life Recovery Group. And... Um, 
uh, our life recovery group that meets down the hall in the conference room, and uh, that meets from nine to ten fifteen, and uh, that's an important uh, group as well because it is a, a Christ-centered, Bible-based um, group that just helps to get into God's Word to remind us of how God and the power of God overcomes any issues that we have in life, no matter what it may be. All right, and uh, so that's another opportunity for Sunday mornings uh, to get together. And of course, remember we have our fellowship, our breakfast fellowship as well. And so you can come early and get some extra fellowship, get your coffee and your breakfast before you head down the hall to one of those uh, groups. So uh, a few quick things just about what's going on here during the week. Uh, We have uh, our Wednesday evening service, and uh, that is from 6.30 to 7.00. Um, 30, and then after that, we have our um, we have our prayer gathering, right? So from 6:30 to 7:30, we have um, our service, and we take communion together, and we worship together, and uh, we're currently going through um, a booklet on the topic of grace, because grace uh, is just woven through every step of the pathway of a disciple. So it's vitally important that we as followers of Jesus Christ understand the nature and the purpose of grace and how it applies to not only our salvation experience, but throughout our lives of walking each day with the Lord, that we would walk in grace and by God's grace. And so Wednesday evenings we gather, 6.30 to 7.30, and uh, there's also a Trinity Kids uh, program, and they have their own gathering down the hall. So parents, you can bring your kids to that and we keep that service to one hour. And then after that, a few minutes after that, we gather for prayer and we have a time of focused prayer, uh, which is wonderful. And we usually end at around 8.15. And so I would encourage you, it's a great opportunity to come out in the middle of the week to kind of get refreshed and uh, renewed and recalibrated. Uh, And so um, we just wanted to make that available to you. That is Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Uh, next uh, Saturday, I believe it is next Saturday, the 22nd, we have our, um, our monthly missions outreach. And so, as you can see, we have one October, one in November. But next Saturday on the 22nd, we will have our Newark Penn Station outreach. We've been announcing that for a while now. And uh, so if you're interested, please see either Andrew or Elizabeth uh, Thomas, who oversee the, uh, the missions program here at Trinity. But what we're going to do is we're going to gather at the, uh, the Long Branch train station, take the train in together to Newark Penn Station. The church is covering the train ticket cost to get in there, so please let us know if you're going. And uh, we're going to be handing out blessing bags to people that are in need in and around that uh, general area of Newark Penn Station and uh, just get to know some people, get to hear some stories, introduce ourselves and uh, to let them know, hopefully, if they're willing to listen about the hope that we have within us. Because Scripture tells us that we are always to be ready to give an account to tell others of that hope that we have. And of course, that is telling others about Jesus. And so a great way to meet some immediate needs by offering uh, a blessing bag and maybe offering to take somebody to lunch, however the Holy Spirit leads. We're just going to be walking around in, in smaller groups of two or three and uh, just meeting people and see how the Lord leads so that we can share that hope that we have. And so I'd encourage all of you to do that. Now, yes, we talk about this often, but for many of us, that is um, a step way, way out of our comfort zone, right? But it's usually in those places that we grow. 
and that God meets us when we are challenged, but it usually just takes that first step of faith to do it. So here is a great opportunity next Saturday. So please see anybody from our missions team if you're interested in joining us to do that, all right? And then finally, just the last announcement for church life before we open God's word together is uh, this new event that I mentioned uh, just last week that uh, we're gonna be having a, a fall harvest party uh, the last weekend of this month. So it's Friday night, October 28th is the men's gathering. We're gonna be preparing some food and having some great fellowship for just the men. But then on Saturday, October 29th at 5 p.m. here at Trinity, we will be gathering with our friends uh, from Allenwood Church. That's a church down the road. And we've done some events with them in the past. We'll be getting together here, both churches, to just have a great time of fun and food and fellowship. And so it's gonna be a fall harvest party and we're gonna have a bonfire outside and we have the lights on so we can play some nighttime volleyball and, and uh, we'll have some tables set up outside and inside as well and we'll have hot apple cider and donuts and the men the night before will be doing a traditional Hawaiian pig roast and getting the, the food ready. And uh, so uh, that'll be an exciting time to do that and then share it with everybody on that Saturday. And so it's a great opportunity to have a combined event with brothers and sisters who are also local, worshiping the Lord and seeking to be disciples of Jesus, but just to get together to have a good time of uh, fun and fellowship. Amen. And so put that on your calendars. You'll be getting some reminders about that. It'll be up on the website later today as well. So you can check that out. But five o'clock on Saturday, October 29th is when we will all be gathering. But men, if you're interested in coming the night before, we'll gather at about 7 p.m. still here at Trinity, just the guys, uh, to kind of prepare for that Saturday and We'll have a time together of some worship and around the word and some great fellowship. And there'll be a few, a few of us, uh, if you're willing, to kind of camp out overnight and uh, uh, do that. And so, um, you know, uh, some of you, that's right up your alley. And some of you are like, there's no way, right? I love a good hotel and a good, uh, you know, and all that. So, but it's all good. And so just another opportunity for the guys to get together and do that. So please mark your calendars for that. You can join us. Of course, it's a, it's a free event but we just wanted to make sure you're all aware of that so that you can um, prepare to uh, join us for that. So uh, there's much more to know about what's going on here at the Life of Trinity, so continue to, to uh, check out our website, trinityallenwood.com, and if you go there, you can also not only see all the events and the past sermon series and what's coming up in the future, but uh, you can also find the email where you can sign up for our prayer emails and uh, how you can uh, get signed up for our, our text updates, which is the quickest way to be updated on what's going on here at Trinity. So uh, make sure that you check that out. So we are continuing in our, um, our study, our sermon series on the discipleship pathway. Now this is an initiative that we launched a few weeks ago. And uh, as I've mentioned, this is not an event. It's not a program. It is a tool. I think it will be a powerful tool for us to use here going forward at Trinity Bible Church for us to stay on track and to stay on target and to stay on the pathway of walking in the way of Jesus. Because as we read the scriptures and we see the teachings of the Lord Jesus himself, and as we see the teachings of the disciples and the apostles, they tell us what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Now we put our faith and trust in Christ 
Because of God's grace, that by his graciousness, he has done all the work through his son Jesus for our salvation that we simply reach out by faith and accept that free gift of salvation. That is the starting point for every disciple. But from there, every other area of the life of a disciple, we call them 12 steps or stepping stones, right? Um, and you'll have these, and you'll also see them in this. Make sure you've all gotten one of these. If you don't have one of these, or if you don't have one of the cards that should have been handed to you, can you raise your hand? Because we want to make sure you have one of these for this morning. All right, and Kim will bring that to you. So just raise your hand high. We'll bring it up. You have a card and one of these. If you did not get them, these are readily available. You don't have to bring these every Sunday, but it's important that you have this and keep these with you because in the brochure, it shows you a closer up a better picture of the pathway. But you'll notice on the pathway that the first step is bigger and bolder. It's a different color to get your attention that we all start by putting our trust in Jesus for salvation. It is the first step, of course, of becoming a disciple. From there, every other aspect and every other step is an integral part that we all have to give attention to, the being a follower of Jesus. But of course, how we get there and when we get there might look a little bit different. Now, some of them generally make more sense to do before others, that once you become a believer, as we looked at last time about getting baptized, a one-time event that we can spend the rest of our lives kind of unpacking and understanding the richness and depth of it, but a one-time event that would normally follow right after we believe and trust in Jesus for salvation, right? It doesn't always happen that way, but normally, and we looked at it last week, scripturally, it normally does. But then everything else kind of flows differently, and you see all the wavy lines, and it's just to depict that it's not a linear pathway, but yet these are all uh, crucial points uh, along the life and path of a disciple that we get right from Scripture. We glean them right from Scripture. And so this fall, we're going through each one of these to help us unpack what we have in our pathway. Uh, this information is also on our website, so we have uh, it's a digital version as well, so you can refer to that often. But this morning, we are looking at that particular stepping stone, that step of telling your story and telling the story. It's about sharing our personal testimony of faith, but of course, included in that is the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because our personal testimony of faith right, is based on the story of the gospel. So it's about telling your story and how you came to be a believer in Jesus and how to tell the story. So it's about telling your story and how to share the gospel clearly and with simplicity. It's an important part of being a follower of Jesus. But see, this whole discipleship pathway, I think, is a powerful tool for us to use, not only for the leadership to make sure the church as a whole is staying on track and that we're offering resources and opportunities for all of us to grow in these important areas, but it's a great tool for all of us to use to help each other so that as we get to know each other and we get in conversation, we can ask each other and say, how are you doing on your pathway of being a disciple, you know, and you can say, well, something like, well, you know, the Lord's been convicting me about serving in church. That's one of the important steps. Do you serve here? How do you do that? What does that look like? 
How can we get more involved? See, it's that kind of thing where we can make sure that we encourage and that we help each other and challenge each other to stay on track of following Jesus Christ because we need each other to do that. This isn't just a tool where you say, here, take this and do this and uh, we'll see you later and you know, good luck, right? It doesn't work that way, that we are to do this together. We are on mission for Jesus together. And that mission, as we have seen, that we take directly from Matthew 28, the end of the Gospel of Matthew, what we call the Great Commission, that we are to go into all the world making disciples, right, baptizing them and teaching them, Jesus says, all that he has commanded us. And he says he has all the authority and that he'll be with us all the way, but we are to go and to do that. And an important part of being a disciple and making disciples is to be able to learn how to tell your story of faith and to share the gospel as an important part of that story. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And, and I think um, a part of what we want to understand is that being the church, we want to help each other to do that. Now, some of you maybe have already kind of crafted that in the past. You've written out your testimony and you know how to share the gospel. And the idea is like if you got onto an elevator with somebody and you had 30 seconds to get up to the fifth floor, would you be able to share your testimony? Could you share the gospel? How would you start that conversation? What would that look like? And for some of us, that scares us to death, right? What would that look like? But here's the key, church. It is a vital important part of being a follower of Jesus that we tell others about Jesus. Because if the great commission that Jesus gave to us, the church, is to be disciples who are making disciples, when he says go and make disciples, then we have to be able to tell people about Jesus, about the change in our lives, because nobody can take that story away from you, no matter what they say, about what Christ has done for you, how you met Jesus, how you believed in him for salvation, and what that looks like for you, because we all have different stories, which is the beauty of it. But yet the gospel is the same for all of us. That doesn't change. But see, our stories change and how we came to be believers. But see, you put those two things together, and that is how, that is God's plan for the spreading of the gospel in this world. His plan is the church. Did you know that? And the church is not this building or any other building. The church is the body of believers. It is the people. It is true believers in Jesus Christ all around the world. We are the church. And God's plan for bringing hope to this hopeless world is through the church. That is a great commission, isn't it? From the Lord Jesus, our master, the one whom we claim to follow. So he said, be disciples who are going and making other disciples. And so the first step right, is to tell people who are not yet believers about Jesus. You tell them by telling your personal story about meeting Jesus, and then you share the simple gospel story. You know, there's a new phenomenon that we've all known about uh, and indulged in for many years now. It's called binge watching. And it's okay, you can admit that you binge watch TV shows and it's kind of a new phenomenon, right? Especially with the advent of 
um, streaming platforms, right? And we all have our favorite shows, and we love it, I think, when when they kind of release the whole series at once, and then you can spend the whole weekend watching your favorite show, right? But isn't it interesting? Like, what does that say about us? What does it say in, 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 you know, that we, we love to kind of immerse ourselves in a story, to kind of get lost in a story? Now, that's nothing new, but the way that we can do that by binge-watching a whole show, which is more than just a two-hour movie, or reading a novel, maybe it's more similar to that, but we can sit down and watch hours and hours of this story unfold and characters are developed and there's drama and there's comedy and there's romance and there's action and we can get lost in a good story. But you know, this kind of, uh, I think, became even more apparent during the pandemic and during the lockdown. You remember where you were when we had to lock down and stay in our homes, right? and the people that you were locked down with. And so we all have stories that we can tell about that. But something also interesting happened. There might have been tensions, there might have been you know, struggles, frustrations, right, that we couldn't go and do and be part of our normal routine. But I think one of the, the blessings, perhaps, that came out of that was that there were more conversations between people than ever before. Because we were forced right, to be out of our normal activity and routine where there were many things we couldn't go and do, but we were in a particular place in our homes, let's say, with people. And so we binged watch TV shows and we had conversations. But really at the, at the, the heart of that, what was that about? I think so much of it is about our love and our need for story. We have a story to tell. We want to hear other people's stories. And I know for me, I got to have great conversations with people in my family. A brand new son-in-law, our son-in-law, who was our future son-in-law at the time, had just moved in with us. They were about to get married. The lease was up on his apartment. He came to, Ben, his name is, he came to live with us as they were getting ready for the, um, uh, for the wedding. And then all of a sudden, the lockdown happened. Now, for some people, they would say, oh my goodness, here I am locked in my home with this future son-in-law. You're like, how is this gonna work out? Praise the Lord, it worked out great. We had many conversations, most of which we probably would have never had because we were together. And so I look back in that, and for that part of it, I am thankful. For that part, I am thankful. Why? Because we had time together, and we were able to tell and share our stories, especially our stories related to our faith and our walk in Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful for that opportunity. But it's a great reminder of the power of story, of us sharing our own stories and listening and learning from other people's stories. We have discovered or maybe even rediscovered that wonderful power. And here's what I want you to take away from this morning. You have a story to tell. And it's a unique story that nobody else can tell, only you. And it's a story that God has given you. What are you gonna do with that story? Are you going to keep it to yourself, or are you going to share it with others? Because God wants to use your story, and of course, in the center of that is his gospel story to change the world. 
one person, one mind, one heart at a time. Elena Rankin wrote this story uh, back in April of 2020, when it was all going down, as we say. And she wrote this story, in, in this, uh, this article, and it says, How Stories Connect and Persuade Us. I want to read just a part of her article. Listen to what she says about some scientific research into the way our brains react when we hear a story. This is important. And keep this in context of the power of the gospel story in our lives. She says this, when you listen to a story, your brain waves actually start to synchronize with those of the storyteller. And reading a narrative activates brain regions involved in deciphering or imagining a person's motives and perspectives, new research has found. When you listen to a story, no matter what your age, you're transported mentally to another time and place. We've all experienced that. She goes on to say, depending on the story you're reading, watching, or listening to, your palms might start to sweat, you might blink faster, your heart might flutter or skip, your facial expressions shift, and the muscles above your eyebrows will react to the different words, all signs that you are engaged in that story. As you hear a story unfold, she continues, your brain waves actually start to synchronize with those of the storyteller, says Yuri Hassan, who's a professor of psychology and neuroscience at Princeton University. When he and his research team recorded the brain activity in two people, as one person told the story and the other listened, they found that the greater the listener's comprehension, the more closely the brainwave patterns mirrored those of the storytellers. Isn't that interesting? That as you're listening to a story, somehow your brainwaves are starting to look a lot more like the brainwaves of the person telling the story. Brain regions that do complex information processing seem to be engaged, the scientist explains. And now listen to this. This is his quote, the scientist. It's as though I'm trying to make your brain similar to mine in areas that really capture the meaning, the situation, and the scheme in context of the world. And it ends with this. Other scientists turned up interesting activity in the parts of the brain engaged in making predictions. When we read brain networks involved in deciphering or imagining another person's motives and the areas involved in guessing what will happen next are activated. Imagining what drives other people, what feeds, which feeds into our predictions, it, listen, it helps us see a situation from different perspectives. And now here's such an interesting statement. It can even shift our core beliefs when we came back out of the story into regular life. Listeners may keep thinking about the story and talk to others about it, the scientists claim, which reinforces the memory and over, over time, can bring a broader change of attitudes. And finally, it says this, different formats of information, maybe list of facts or charts, may be better suited for different situations, researchers say, but stories 
wield a particularly strong influence over our attitudes, our beliefs, and our behaviors. This is really interesting. Because what they're saying is, as as scientists study our brainwaves, they see the connection between the storyteller and the listener. Who was the greatest storyteller ever? Was Jesus himself. Did he not teach so many things? Through stories, through parables, through asking questions. Because, of course, he, being God, knew the way our brains work. That when you listen to a story, and when you're telling a story, there is an instant connection that goes deeper and deeper between the storyteller and the listener. To the point, researchers say, that listening to that story, the way it changes our brain waves, will then be such a powerful influence in changing our beliefs, our attitudes, and our behaviors. Jesus knew that. He told stories. And still today, 2,000 years later, we read, we listen. Our beliefs are changed. Our attitudes are changed. And they, in turn, change our behaviors. Do they not? But think about this in the context of what we're talking about. We all have a story to tell. It's the story of our faith, how we have come to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. What did that look like for you? You have a unique story to tell. But are we willing to tell it? Because it is not only unique, it is powerful. And when you do tell others about yourself and Jesus and how you came to meet him and believe in him. And then, of course, in part of that, you tell others the gospel story straight from Scripture. People will be changed. Ultimately, it's because of the power of God. But we also know, even scientists know this, that as we tell others a story, listen, church, as we tell others our story and the gospel story, even people's brain waves start to change. And over time, right? We don't know how long that takes. That's a God thing. That it will change and influence people's beliefs and attitudes and behaviors. It's what happened to us when we heard the gospel story. So it's going to happen with others. But how has God chosen to get that message out? Through his word, the scriptures, and then through us, the church. The people who have the truth, the people who have the story and have believed, and then are sharing it with others. That's how the grace and the goodness of God is designed by our maker to spread throughout this world. Scripture says that we are to always be ready to give an account of the hope that is within us. Always be ready to tell your story and to tell God's story. Let me ask you a couple questions. Think about this. What was your life like before Jesus Christ saved you? What were the most drastic changes in your life right after you trusted Jesus? Just think about your story of faith. What were the questions and the events or relationships that pushed you or drew you towards Jesus? What did that look like? Who was involved? Where were you? What was going on in your life when that happened? How did you first hear the gospel and come to understand 
and accept God's grace? Who are the key people or groups who influenced you to trust Jesus? How did they help you move towards Jesus? And finally, who are you now that you are saved? How has your identity changed? See, we all have unique stories. I remember for many years, I was reluctant to share my story of faith because I thought it was kind of boring. You hear some people's stories and they're so dynamic and filled with such, uh, um, such uh, action and, and such drama, like a great novel or epic movie, right? Because of God, how God has used them. And that is their individual story. And it can be so gripping because of where God brought them. And I feel, well, my story is nothing compared to that. So I don't think anybody wants to hear my story. But see, that's a lie that I believed. Why? Because I have a unique story. And I can't decide how God's going to use that or not use it. But here's another cool thing, church. Our stories keep developing. The, the, the story about how we came to Christ and salvation, that stays. But then as we walk with him, we continue to develop that story, and we can continue to share with others what God is doing. So perhaps the way that he leads us from that moment of salvation to the moment he calls us home, that everyday walking with him, we, of course, experience new things, and it adds to our story. You see, my story is this. I, I grew up in a, a good, solid home, parents that loved each other and loved me and my brother. Uh, never had want of anything. Did well in school. Had good friends. Never got in trouble. Does it sound boring to you? You guys annoyed at me already, right? Um. Never gave my parents any reason not to trust me. But I had a friend. His name is Tom. I've told you about him before. And the Lord brought Tom into my life when I was uh, in kindergarten. We met in kindergarten. And I didn't know it at the time, but he would become my best friend. He'd become a brother in the Lord, and he'd become my brother-in-law. Like I say, I can't get rid of the guy, right? He's always around. But when we were in kindergarten, I met Tom, and we became fast friends and spent our, our childhood youth together, and of course, are still so close. But you know what happened was, God, uh, Tom's dad, Rich, became a believer early on in our relationship. He's a very strong presence, a loving man, but had a great, big, deep voice, and I loved him. Because God got a hold of his heart. You know what he did? He shared his story of salvation with his family. And then as I hung out with him and his family, I would hang out, have dinner with them. They'd be talking about Jesus. They would invite me over for Bible studies, and I would sit. I would know nothing about it. We were reading out of the King James Version. They'd be like, well, why don't you read something? I was terrified, so I'd read it. Just read it. You know, here's this phrase keeps coming over and over. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith, I keep saying Seth. They're, they're kind of giggling. What does that mean? Saith. Okay, I didn't know. It Seth, saith. I didn't know. So I'm reading something. I had no idea what it meant. But they invited me in. Now, my best friend is inviting me into his home. Intimate times, but they're talking about Jesus. That went on from kindergarten all the way to the first year of college. It was at that time, the first year of college, when I realized all that truth that I had heard was not only true, but it was true for me. That was the moment of belief. 
I had accepted it as fact and true. Nothing else seemed to make sense when it comes to faith or religion. But I didn't believe or ever make the connection that it was true for me. And there was that moment when I believed that Christ had done this. Yes, for the whole world, John 3, 16, but I was part of that world, and he did that for me. And that's the moment that I believed. But see, my story just sounds kind of boring because I just kind of grew up with a friend. He told me about Jesus, and eventually I believed. I had no real hardships or losses in my life. But that's my story. And so I share it because I don't know how God's going to use that. Now, I've had plenty of stories since that we can add to that, and I've shared many of those here. But why? Why would I tell it? Because it's the greatest story ever told, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it changed me, and nobody can ever take that away. Because that's what Jesus Christ does. He changes lives. He's in the transformation business. See, it's God's heart to bring reconciliation from the world to him. And he does it one person at a time. And he tells the church, the body of believers, now you go and do that. That's what Jesus said. He said, this has been our mission, and now I'm about to go back to the Father, so you continue that mission till I get back. Go and make disciples of all the nations. You baptize them, you teach them everything that I have taught you. But as we tell our story, we need to tell the story. The most important part of our story is the gospel message. So what is the gospel? How would you share the simple gospel message with someone in 30 seconds or less? What would that look like for you? Just imagine, again, you get it on an elevator, you have about 30 seconds, and you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I want to share Jesus with this person, what would you say? How would you do it? What words or phrases would you use? How would you get across, in 30 seconds, the simple gospel message? How would you invite someone to trust in Jesus for salvation? For if God's plan is to use the church, that's all of us, To bring hope to the world, we have to be able to open our mouths and tell people about Jesus, about how we met him and how we changed our lives when we believed in him, and how they can do the same. We have to be able to share that message. Learning how to clearly represent and share the gospel in various ways is critical to being a disciple and making disciples. Being able to both share our story and call others to find life in Jesus through the simple gospel message is an exercise that every disciple should not only explore, but employ regularly. Now let's give an example from the scriptures. We know that uh, from the Bible that at least six times towards the end of his missionary journeys, the apostle Paul, the great apostle Paul, he stood before many different crowds And he presented Christ to them. That makes sense. At least six times we know from Scripture, he stood alone, just by himself, no group around him. He addressed unbelievers, many of them often hostile or rude. Do you know the method that he used each time? He shared a story. He shared his personal testimony, his story about what Jesus did for him. In the midst of that, he told them, the gospel. Each time he spoke, 
He simply shared his story about how God had changed his life. He didn't argue or debate with them all the time. He didn't preach a sermon at them. Why? Because the most convincing, unanswerable arguments regarding our faith in Christ is our personal testimony, our personal experience with the Lord. If you turn with me to Acts 22, it'll be up on the screen for you. Turn with me to Acts 22, verses 1 through 21. Acts 22, verses 1 through 21. I want to read this story to you. Why? This is one of those occasions, church, when the Apostle Paul shares his testimony. So let's use it as an example about the, how the Apostle Paul did this and how we can do something similar. So listen to the words. You, you can read them. They'll be up on the screen. or You can just listen to them as I read them. And follow along and just picture yourself there standing listening to him sharing this story. Listen to what it says. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. So he's kind of announcing he's about to share a story, right? And it says, and when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, so he got their attention twice. Do you see that? He said, now listen, I'm about to tell you a story. He spoke in a language they understood. What does that look like for us? And he said, verse three, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day, I persecuted this way, meaning Christians, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. He's saying he used to persecute Christians. Verse six, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, 
I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Stop there for a second. The Apostle Paul just shared his testimony. Did you see that? He said, I'm about to tell you a story. And he started with who he was. He's like, here I am, and I'm a Jew. He shares a little bit of his background. This is who I was, what I was doing. And then I met the Lord Jesus on the road. This is how it had an effect on me, and this is how I am different now. Do you see what he did? He shared a very simple story, but it was his story, his powerful testimony of what Christ had done in his life. And then he said, this is what I'm doing now. This is who I was. This is how I met Jesus, and this is who I am now. This is what I do. I used to persecute in the synagogues and arrest them and beat them, and now I'm going into the synagogues and telling them about Jesus. Looks a little different, doesn't it? All he did was share his testimony. And I want to make one point about this so we don't lose this. If you look at the next verse, verse 22, look at what it says in verse 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. That could happen when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's not just assume that everything went well and everybody's like, yes, I believe. They listened up to that point. It's as if they stopped them and said, you don't even deserve to live. We don't know what the response will be, but we can't control what people say or do or how they respond. We can only control what we say and what we do. And so we have been given a story in Christ Jesus. What are you gonna do with it? How will you share it? Are you equipped and able in a very short amount of time, just usually all we have, to tell people who you are, how you met Jesus, who you are now in him, how you're different, and then tell them about that Jesus. You see that process? It's a simple process, but that's so profound. That's how we are to do it. We tell others, we introduce ourselves. This is who we are. This is how we met Jesus. This is how we're different. Now let me tell you about this Jesus. And you give them the simple gospel story. We'll end with this. What is that simple gospel? We often say it this way. We have to tell people about the person, the provision, and the promise. We have to tell, we, when we share the gospel, we got to tell them about Jesus, the person. We have to tell them about the provision that he has given us in himself and about the promise, what that promise is. We have to share that there is bad news and there is good news because a gospel with only the good news is no gospel at all. Apostle, the Apostle Paul says that. He says if there's any other gospel that's preached, it's no gospel at all. When you hear somebody share the gospel, talking about Jesus and salvation, they have to somehow talk about the bad news, which is that we are sinners separated from a holy and righteous God before they can get to the good news. That makes sense? It makes sense. The word gospel simply means this. It means good news, which is the message of forgiveness for sin through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. It is, listen, the gospel is essentially God's rescue plan of redemption for those who will trust in his divine son in order to be reconciled. See, it's a story of rescue. 
How many of the great stories and movies and epic novels that we read are about somebody that needs rescuing, right? Usually all the great epic stories throughout history, right? They follow the same pattern. They get it right from the scripture. Everything starts out great. There's good relationships. Everything seems to be great. No drama, no worries, no problems. And then something enters into the story to create an issue. All of a sudden there's drama, there's problems, there's issues. And the whole rest of the story is about trying to reconcile that to get back to the state they were in where everything was good. It's about trying to reconcile, right, or solve that problem. And in the end, the hero wins and comes and rescues everybody who is in danger. Is that not, in a nutshell, the gospel narrative? The story of scripture from Genesis to Revelation where everything started out great, it was God's design, sin entered into the world, everything's messed up, the whole rest of the story from Exodus all the way to Revelation, is about the reconciliation of God's creation to himself and his plan for how to do that. And we see it revealed and unveiled as we read it, that great meta-narrative, we call it, of redemption. Where we get all the way to the end of the book in Revelation, and it says Jesus is gonna make all things new. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem a beautiful and perfect city with a garden in it to replace the perfect and beautiful garden of where it started. But see, we are part of that story. Do you know that, church? It's not just some book with some story. We are in there. We are in the pages of Scripture because Christ died for you. So if he's died for you, are you going to live for him? And how are you going to tell others about it? Because that's how that hope spreads. Let's end with this, and you can put that last slide up. There are four essential elements to the gospel. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. You don't have to turn to it. You can just listen. But if, if you need to be reminded of, of the simplicity of the gospel, go to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. That's where you'll find it. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. You can write that in the margin of your Bible, in your notes. Here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. Paul says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. So he's talking to believers to whom he already preached the gospel and they believe. But now he's reminding them. We all need reminding. That's what we're doing this morning. He says, by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word, I preach to you. He's talking about two different kinds of salvation. There's eternal salvation, and then being saved and rescued from the dangers and perils of being persecuted for that faith. He says, you're going to stick to that gospel. God will rescue you from the travails of this world. He's saying, you've already been rescued spiritually. You have your eternal destiny set. But if you want to stand firm in him and be rescued for what is going to um, come to you in life, then stick to this truth. And he says, stick to this, otherwise you have believed in vain. And then he says, in verses 4 and 5 of 1 Corinthians 15, for what I have received, I passed on to you of first importance. See what Paul is saying? I got the gospel right from Jesus, now I'm giving it to you. What I received, this is the most important message ever in the history of humankind, now I'm giving to you, remember what that is. 
that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day also, according to the scriptures. He gives the truth, and he gives the proof. You see that? He gives the truth, and he says it's in the scriptures. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, right, which shows that he actually physically died. And then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So here are the four essential elements. There's three, really, from this passage, and then the fourth important one. First, the phrase died for our sins is very important when we share the gospel. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The reality of sin needs to be acknowledged by all who approach the throne of God for salvation. We can't just go to God and say, God, I want all the good stuff. God, just give me the hope. Thank you. I heard that that life will be better in Jesus. I heard that I'll go to heaven, so I'm just believing in Jesus. We first need to start with why. Why do people need to believe in Jesus? Why do we need rescuing? Does that make sense? I mean, we can't just say, you need to be rescued. People should ask that question. Why? From what? From whom? What's happening? So the first phrase, died for our sins, is extremely important. A sinner has to acknowledge the hopelessness of his guilt before God in order for forgiveness to take place. That we must understand the wages of sin is death. Without this first foundational truth, no true gospel presentation is complete. So we start, in, in essence, with that bad news. But we say it as Paul did, he died for our sins. Christ died for our sin. Second, the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ is an essential element of the gospel. The resurrection is the proof of the power of God. We talk about sin. We talk about his death on the cross to pay for those sins. Our sin, his death. But how about his resurrection? It's the proof of the power of God. Only he who created life can resurrect it after death. Only he can reverse the hideousness that is death itself. And only he can remove the sting that is death and the victory that is the graves. And finally, the person and work of Christ are indispensable components. We cannot talk about the gospel without talking about the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. Jesus is both God and man. Jesus lived a sinless life that we could never live. And because of that, he is the only one who could die. That substitutionary death for the sinner. Sin again, listen to this, sin against an infinite God requires an infinite sacrifice. Does that make sense? Sin against an infinite God requires an infinite sacrifice. Therefore, either man, right, humans who are finite, must pay the penalty for an infinite length of time, or the infinite Christ must pay for it once and for all. That's what Jesus did. Jesus died because we're sinners And he came back to life, God's acceptance of his payment on our behalf. But then there's this fourth element, which is so important. Salvation is free. It's free to us as a gift, but it costs God everything because it cost him his son. Christ offers his salvation as a free gift. 
And this free gift can only be received by faith. Belief, trust, they all mean the same thing. Apart from any kind of work or any kind of merit on our part. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. No one can boast that we are saved by grace, which means God did it all. Grace is unmerited favor. God did everything. Saved by grace, it's God's grace, starts with him through faith. Our faith, it's not a work. It's a way that we respond and simply receive that gift of grace so that we have no reason to boast about ourselves. As Paul says, we boast in Jesus Christ alone. So those elements of the gospel all clear. When we share the gospel, somehow we have to talk about how we are sinners separated from a holy God. That Christ died, it was his death on the cross, to pay that penalty for our sin that we were supposed to pay. He did it. That on the third day, he rose again back to life, providing everlasting life for us. We have life in him because he rose again. That resurrection is God's acceptance of Jesus' payment. See that? And finally, we make sure that people understand that we cannot work for it. We can't earn it. We do not deserve it. It was all done by God. We receive it by faith. It's a free gift for us to receive. And the Bible says over 160 times in the New Testament. And how do we receive eternal salvation? It's by believing. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, which means this is how he loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would never die but have everlasting life. Or the great story of the Philippian jailer who was so shaken by that earthquake that freed Paul. And he said to them, what do I have to do to be saved? They simply said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It is as simple, as profound as that. But then church, what do we do as believers, as followers of Christ with that truth that is now our story, just like Paul did? We share with people, here's who I was, here's how I found Jesus, And here's how I'm different. Now let me tell you about the one who makes the difference in my life and how he changed the world. We tell people about Jesus. And it's so important we understand, I close with this, that he is the only one that could have ever done this for us. There's no other way. Would you stand with me? Just listen to these words from John 14 before I close this in prayer. John 14 says this. This is Jesus talking to his disciples as he was preparing them for his departure. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you also may be where I am. Great words of comfort. You know the way, the place where I'm going. So Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is one way to be reconciled to God, 
That is through belief in Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, that is offered as a free gift to us. The gospel is good news. It speaks of God's amazing grace. It provides the only true hope for a desperate world. Church, we are the people of that hope. Do you believe that? So tell your story and tell the story of Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you for our time together. I pray, Lord God, that something that you, you said to us through your word would really hit home, that it would encourage us and convict and challenge us. Lord God, give us that strength. Give us that courage, Lord. Help us to work on sharing our story with others. God, would you remind us in so many different ways all throughout the week until we get back together again next time, Lord, would you please remind us and show us that we have the hope that this world desperately, desperately needs. And God, that you desire that we would simply tell others about Jesus. God, in our humility, we realize that without you, we are nothing. But just like the Apostle Paul, Father, we know we had a life before you, and we met you, Lord. You worked all things together so that we would meet you on our own road to Damascus, and that we are changed, that we are different, that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to live that and proclaim it and tell others. Lord, may we tell others our story and help us to tell others your story. We pray for the strength to do that and the opportunities to do that. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, church. Go and be bold in the way that you tell your story.
He's our rescue. 